Happy Women's History Month. Welcome to another episode of Authentically Detroit, broadcasting live from the Lower East Side here in the city, powered by the East Side Community Network and sponsored by none other than the Ford Foundation. Now a content partner to the new BridgeDetroit.com. I'm Orlando Bailey. And I'm Donna Givens-Davidson. Thank you for listening in and supporting our efforts to build a platform of authentic voices for real people on the east side of Detroit. We want you to like, rate, and subscribe to our podcast on all platforms. We drop a new episode every week, so turn on those notifications. Today we are joined by Charity D. Charity is the president and CEO of the newly formed Metro Detroit Black Business Alliance. She's a former director of the City of Detroit's Office of Civil Rights Inclusion and Opportunity. Charity, welcome to Authentically Detroit. Thank you for having me. I'm so excited to be here. We're excited to have you as well. And also joining us today is Kimberly Harry. Kimberly is the co-owner alongside her siblings of an East Side institution on Mac Avenue, founded by her father, Mr. Harry, almost five decades ago. Her father actually gave me my very first haircut. Kimberly, welcome to Authentically Detroit. Oh, good evening. Thank you for having me. And I always love when I hear you say that, Orlando. I love that story. True. It's true. I had a head full of hair and he cut it all off and left me. <laughs> it was back in the 90s. So we were still wearing the little tails. I had a little tail. Yeah, yeah. Uh, did he give you a dumb, dumb sucker after? He did. He did. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but the real question is, do you have pictures? Uh, there are pictures of the tail. And there are pictures of my hair. I was three or four years old and my hair wow. was long and thick. It was ridiculous. I, I need to see all of these pictures. <laughs> Please be sure to post them on Facebook, Donna. Yes, exactly, yes. Human check-in, I'm gonna move on from that one. Uh, how does this blessed and sunny day find each of you? Donna, how you doing? I'm good, you know, we went out for a walk today. I had such a great time just being out there. Um, didn't have enough time, but I did enjoy being outside and just looking at, um, you know, nature. Spring is my favorite time of year. It's a time of new beginnings. And this spring, I can't help but believe that we have the we're at the beginning of the end of such a terrible process of loss and, um, you know, on, on every level. So I'm optimistic. Um, I've got two shots in me, you know, and that's like, the second one was hard, but it is well worth the pain and the discomfort. Because I thought after six hours of you know discomfort, imagine some people are going through this for yeah. a couple of weeks mm -hmm. and some people have permanent damage. So luckily I knew even in the midst of my pain that there was an end. And yeah. the day I was walking outside, all I could think about was the end. I miss people. Mm. <laughs> yeah, yeah. We miss you too. How you doing? How you doing, Charity? Good to see you. Good to see you. I am ecstatic about the sunshine. I went outside today. It was amazing. I had the most delicious piece of pound cake today from the kitchen with cooking with Q. I'm going to tell you this was uh -huh. vegan pound cake, fresh out the oven, and it changed my entire life. That's all I'm going to say. I was in awe. So, that that set my day up for success. <laughs> Love it. <laughs> Cooking with that's you. awesome. Yes. We, is, is the, I'm sure that's a black business. Do they have yeah. like Instagram? Shout them out real quick. Yes. So Q, she's on Instagram. It's at Cooking with You or the Kitchen by Cooking with You. She's on Fox Two all the time. Black owned vegan spot. Every. I mean, it's just it's 
the food is delicious. I had the best pound cake today. It really did impact my day. <laughs> but yes, black owned sister, uh, doing her thing. She's amazing. So on the she her um the kitchen is on Woodward and, and Grand Boulevard. Uh, oh, awesome. Okay. She's, yes, amazing pound cake. Changed my life. <laughs> Kimberly, how you doing? And you know what? It's a great day. Um, I was just pulling something up on my phone. I, I reached out to um, my siblings this morning at 9.01 and I said, morning, let's have a good day on purpose. Um, you know, there are always challenges, um, but each day my goal is to attempt to have a good day on purpose. So that means that I'm strategically thinking about you know, every moment of the day, am I making the best of the day? Am I helping someone? Um, and it's it's been a really, really good day. It really has. It's been a good day. Got a lot accomplished. And then this. Yeah. Glad to have you. Orlando, how about your day? Well, you know, today I've been sitting in gratitude and reflection all day. Donna, I don't know if you remember, but today marks uh, my one-year anniversary at Bridge Detroit. Today, oh, wow. Congratulations. Wow at the new bridgedetroit.com uh, and uh, full of excitement, full of vigor. They mailed my laptop to me. We started um, at home. I worked for, Donna, did I work for what? Two or three days and then I was sick. <laughs> I, you know Orlando wants me to remember this as happy times. It's not happy. I'm, I'm gonna be real straight, okay? It was not a good day for me when he started working at British Detroit. I'm real happy for you now. I, I, remember, it was like, I love it. This is authentically the first you're going to get authentically, Donna. I actually thought he was going to be gone, but he still has a desk in my office. So I don't know. I'd love to have you here. He's not on my payroll anymore, but he's still here. <laughs> and I know that he's here now. The year from last year, you'd still be with us. I'd be really, really happy on that day. But in all seriousness, you know, we were dealing with so much sickness and yeah. fear and, you know, just afraid to breathe. And so um, I'm really happy to celebrate your one year anniversary in our building. And um, yay, Orlando. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, you know, it, it, it's been it's been quite a year. And as everyone knows, it's been a, a hard year with, you know, moments of, of joy and moments of, you know, deep, deepened grief. But uh, as Donna was saying, it's just something in the air that's, that feels different. And I'm looking forward to the future. So yes, I'm feeling uh, really good, Donna, much like you, excited about the spring. But it's time for Fresh Off the Press, news that we are thinking about. If you have pieces that you want discussed on Authentically Detroit, you can hit us up on our socials at Authentically Detroit on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Or you can email us at AuthenticallyDetroit at gmail.com. Donna, fresh off the press. Um, Detroit works on making more room for marijuana businesses. And this is Olivia Lewis reporting with Bridge Detroit. So apparently um, we just had an ordinance passed that um, allows for people to get recreational marijuana licenses and seeks to balance the playing field in a significant way by prioritizing um, experienced um, sellers of marijuana over um, newbies. So if you've been in the field and possibly have a little bit of a criminal history behind you, it's counting on your behalf, understanding that black people in our community paid a disproportionate price for the illegal nature of it. But I think we still have some things to figure out. 
um, you can have medical marijuana in places where recreational marijuana cannot exist. Mm -hmm. um, and um, apparently medical marijuana, most of the geography where you can open a medical marijuana shop is um, in, in district three. Um, mm -hmm. So there's a concern that there's gonna be overpopulation in district three and not enough in some other areas. And there's prohibitions about putting it in prime real estate in places where growth is really envisioned around schools and around residential neighborhoods. And so um, there's community pushback, a lot of interest on both sides. People don't want it in their neighborhoods necessarily, although you know we do have liquor stores. And again, people have medical marijuana in some of these same places. And the difference between medical marijuana and recreational is not all that great all of the time for really being honest. I mean, it's not, I've never tried, but I have heard that it's not <laughs> hard to get a medical marijuana car. And so I think, you know, the real question is, do we want to see successful businesses? This is a business. It is illegal from a federal standpoint, but it has been permitted at the state and local level. And so do we want to see these businesses thrive? And do we want to have points of entry for African-American business owners so that we have diversity and we have um, the ability of other people to make money. So much of what um, Charity is talking, we're going to talk about, I'm so excited about this, is around um, equity, wealth equity, right? And so you can have um, rules and policies that do not intentionally, that are colorblind and do not intentionally disadvantage Black people. But unless you do certain things, they're going to disadvantage Black people nonetheless. This seems like one of those things where apparently the property is too high. And so I hope they get it right. Um, I have confidence that there are people in the city who really do want to get it right. And that those of us who um, we can hold our nose if we don't really like marijuana and still understand that this is really going to help shape how our um, community is set up for years to come. And so whatever we decide right now is going to have an impact. 10 years from now, we have to think beyond the, oh, I don't like marijuana too much, to this is now the law. And this is a business opportunity. And how do we facilitate that? This is one of many barriers. You know, Adana, uh, something comes to mind, uh, a quote from Davida Davison, who said, if you are working in the city of Detroit and you are doing so um, race blind, then you're doing the work the wrong way. Right. You, can, you can't work race neutral in a city like Detroit. I want to read something and I want you to respond to it. Just 2,538 parcels of land meet the zoning and space requirements for the marijuana-related businesses in Detroit. However, city planner George Etheridge said on Wednesday that many of these parcels have been priced out of range of legacy Detroiters. The city has identified only 17 structures within its inventory that meet that zoning and spacing requirements so far. So it sounds like equity is not only needed in physical space and built environment, but in, you know, closing these capital stacks. Yeah, I mean, when you create scarcity and when you limit where people think places can go, you're creating scarcity. Scarcity produces price inflation. And there's a whole lot of people who have been looking at this for a long time and projecting and understand what all of this means. Like, I would not know what these requirements mean, but there are people who are planners and there are people who hire planners to understand that this real estate is going to be valued a whole lot higher in the future. Let's go ahead and encumber it. And once we encumber it, then we can make money and we can actually control who gets to go here. So again, it's a race neutral policy that has racist implications mm -hmm. and racist outcomes unless we get ahead of the game and really demand equity 
and all that you know equity represents for our community. Charity, what do you think about this? I was gonna, I was gonna say, <laughs> um, this is, um, I have a lot to say. And full disclosure, this is part of my my job uh, this time, you know, before I stepped down from the city. Uh, the Civil Rights Department was very instrumental in the uh, new recreational license um, ordinance. Um, and I, I, the other thing I'll say, I'll say a couple of things. One, Councilman Tate really engaged a group of um, folks around this ordinance in a way that I have not seen before. Mm -hmm. And I I went to some of those work group meetings. There was a lot of work put in and I will always give credit for that. Mm -hmm. um, and then there are some things within the ordinance. You can't actually hold on to that land. So if you've at those 17 parcels that you're talking about, they're only available for legacy Detroiters, right? So you have to have been in Detroit for 15 years and you have to have a license. And if you don't get a lot, you can't just hold it and like hold it forever. You don't get a license, then it's got to go to another legacy Detroiter and you get 75% off the price of that land if you're a legacy Detroiter. So there are some components in there um, that are thinking about some of these things, but I'm gonna tell you right now, to your point, Donna, this is an industry that there's so many unknowns and you have to be overly intentional and then also be flexible to make changes as the, as the ordinance comes into effect and then things come up. Um, and I'll say this also about your earlier comment, uh, you know, a, a older, a, a seasoned saint said to me uh, one time, if you are not sitting at the table, you are on the table, right? The, and so as it relates to the, the marijuana industry, which is um, ha which has the potential to be a million billion dollar industry in our state as African-Americans, and we are consumers, we need to be entrepreneurs, right? Where we are, where we consume, we need to own. And so I 100% I agree with you on that, but equity is not done by accident. And if you're not thinking about it, if you're not breathing it every single day, then you will miss the mark. So that's my mm. thought. The proposed zoning change from 1,000 feet of distance from a drug-free zone would create uh, a 53% increase in the number of available parcels, yeah. according to uh, George Etheridge at uh, the city of Detroit. So yeah, this, this is something that we'll follow. Go ahead, Donna. You have to look at what a 53% increase is. 53% mm -hmm. increase means, you know, about half of 17. Mm -hmm. So you know, you're really talking about nine more businesses. You're going 26 as opposed to 17, which is still not enough. Um, so let's be clear yep. about the numbers. We need more than that if we're going to have equity. But Kimberly, I have a question for you. As a sure. long-standing business owner, how would you feel about having a marijuana business operate in close proximity to your business? Great question. And, and so if I can be totally honest and transparent, I have not done enough research. Um, I, I think any business, if it's operating responsibly, if it's operating legally, um, then then I, I don't think I would have an issue. Um, but again, I don't know enough about the industry and I have not done my research. Um, but I do, as a longstanding business owner, um, operating legally, and operating responsibly are two of my primary concerns. I'll be keeping 100. If I had a choice between a marijuana business of any kind and a liquor store opening up next to me, I take the marijuana business every day. First of all, because <laughs> your cousin businesses, <laughs> businesses are so cleverly named. I'm always, I, I want to have a collective 
just love the name. Yeah, yeah. Green Garden. You because sometimes you have to. Yeah, yeah. You have to look twice. I saw one that said church. Yes. No, those billboards are insane. You look at the the billboards on the stores, you know, liquor. Right. Nothing about them stands out. But it seems like marijuana businesses take their customers seriously. They're just trying to get somebody. What's the name of the one? Is it Utopia? Is that the one on Lafayette? Utopia Gardens. Utopia Gardens. That is a beautiful business. I wanted to stop there and get some coffee. And I realized (laughs) they sell. It looks like a coffee shop, doesn't it? And so I think that, you know, some of this is kind of funny to me when I look at what I see happening outside of a marijuana shop versus a liquor store where you have people standing around, nobody's standing around in front of the marijuana shop. And I don't know why, but you don't see any face like maybe people are ashamed or something. So uh, (laughs) that's true. That is a great observation. You don't see people loitering outside the weed shop. Okay. They get in their car, they park, they get their weed, they get and they leave. And every single marijuana business I've seen has improved the look of the building they've moved into. Those are some nice looking buildings, not every single one, but I'm telling you, they look nice to me. So while I'm not an advocate and I'm not, I don't want any church people, anybody else to get mad at me. They're coming for the saints going to get you. (laughs) But you know, they've been coming for me for a minute, but I'm just saying that when you look at developing our business trips, I don't think we should be afraid of it as long as there's not a concentration. That's my thought. I really... I really want to solve the capital, the, the lack of capital problem. I understand that to start some of these businesses, you already kind of need a tremendous amount of wealth. These businesses are very top heavy. And as a member of the financial industry, I chair the board of One Detroit Credit Union. The credit union, on the credit union side, the credit unions are very heavily regulated by state and federal regulators who caution us so much about uh, venturing into the cannabis industry that they caution us right out of it, right? And so we're trying to really do um, a landscape analysis around how we can provide services to this emerging industry because number one, it's not going anywhere. But then two, this gap in capital, if we're talking about legacy Detroiters who may or may not have the wealth necessary or accumulated to actually start something like this, then that's also an equity issue that needs attention and intention if we're going to talk about spreading uh, the, the, the benefits of this industry around, especially to our Black brothers and sisters who are looking to start one of these businesses in the city. Orlando, why do they caution you to sort of stay away from that business? Well, I, I want to be clear. They don't caution us to stay away from it. They just over caution us about the industry okay. so much so okay. that, you know, you know, you if you are a credit union and you are under federal and state regulation, one mishap, okay. one misstep, Got it. Got this it. industry could could put you in a camel four rating, which is a really bad rating okay. uh, where you would be under federal, like intentional, insane federal oversight for <laughs> years. Um, so, you know, credit unions are trying to figure it out, but not many have jumped on it. And I don't know 
what the banking industry um, is doing. Uh, it's a cash heavy business. You know, so there are all of these things to account for. And so while there is a capital flow problem on part of the entrepreneur, some of these institutions also would need some upfront capital to make room yeah. for this kind of industry. New entrances, new ventilation systems, because you know how yeah. we like pungent um, we. <laughs> In the city. <laughs> loud. Loud if you loud. But then, you know, the other thing is that oh go ahead. No. I was just gonna um say to Kimberly, the other thing is because it's illegal at the federal level, you don't these um business owners don't have the same access to resources that other business owners. They can't just go to TCF and, and get a loan, for example. Um and so or even a CDFI to get help. And so as we were thinking about from the city side, how we create um equity here that's one of the biggest things and so one of the things that i know is coming from the city side is creating a fund because because you can't find funding now and there's also uh, legislation at the um federal level as well that will help to um, ease some of the burdens and once maybe with joe biden in office maybe we can actually get um some movement there but you, for example you can't write off your business expenses if you are a cannabis company you can't write that off in the same way that another company can so there's so many barriers wow when they're regular barriers for regular people add like a hundred million and then that's how it is for a black entrepreneur in that industry so. yeah you know i'm not holding my breath on joe biden i'm so glad you went first so i can save this in context fire <laughs> <laughs> people you just fire folks for smoking weed it's like he's not saying wait, wait 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 what did you just say joe biden just, just fire people for smoking weed people who, who have smoked weed in the past they were interviewed. Have you smoked weed in the past and believed it would not be used against them? And then they lost their jobs. So no I mean, way. That was just, I think, I think that was just last week. Yeah, yeah. I, I am so out of it for national news, but I, oh my gosh. That's exactly what my, your eyesight and everything you're doing right now, I hope people see this video, is exactly how I respond. I was like, I when I saw it, I didn't believe it. You know, sometimes you just, I was like, no, let me look this up. This is just an angry millennial. And I saw it and I was like, no, this is wow. Weird. So and that's I think, why, okay, sorry, well, I'm, I'm going to go on a tangent. But um, no, I think that's that. two things. One of them is that I just think that we need to have some honest conversation. There's nothing I dislike more than hypocrisy. Um, we have so much hypocrisy around marijuana. And let's be honest, those the, all of these laws didn't get passed because Black people smoke weed. Right. Okay. So that's number one. If it was just on that's us, it. it would be, you know, still. Right. Yep you know, level one felony yep. ever. Um, but the other thing is that we have just suffered disproportionate harm. And I think what um, James Tate tried to do, and I, I, you know, my hat's off to him. He took, a lot of he took a lot of heat for taking his time to get it right. And then he got it right, as far right as he could. But, you know, to a certain extent, I see reparations built in there. But you know what I'm sick of? Give me some money with my reparations. Don't just give me a law change and equity. Equality is not reparations. Because we didn't have an equal consequence. We need a more than equal opportunity. Yeah. And it's not just saying, okay, we're going to look at you first, which a lot of times that's all we want to do. Put some money where, you, where yeah. your mouth is. And there's so many things you could do. You know, right now they're telling these um, cannabis owners, business owners, that they have to invest in nonprofits. And that's about to get messy is all get out because you see poor Sheffield keeps getting cut out of these deals. I don't know if you've seen that 5% of their profits have to go to a nonprofit, a local nonprofit, and they keep on- That's one deals. of the um, 
as it's, one of the um, the uh, good. So that's a criteria neighbor. for. Yeah, the good neighbor. The good neighbor program. The good neighbor program. They have to invest. This is a statewide thing, and they keep on making deals with Horace Sheffield, and then um, somehow he gets keeps getting, you know, removed from these deals, and they're saying, you know, pay it to somebody else. But what if these owners mm -hmm. were required to invest in a fund to help new emerging entrepreneurs get into the business? Because when you start choosing between community organizations, you have people fighting over weed money inside of neighborhoods. I think it could be as destructive as it is productive. But if you use those funds to address a root cause and that is something else, um, I think it would be good. Not maybe have them invest in a community fund to help out neighborhoods, but I just, yeah, the, the fights over weed money are gonna get real. So anyway, well, is that, that a criteria though, just for cannabis owners? Yes. All right. right. Fresh off yes. the press. Fresh off the press. Why does this police commissioner keep getting muted? Listen, it's been some drama going on at the Board of Police Commissioners for a while now, and uh, we haven't covered it on this show, but we are covering it now. Police Commissioner Willie Burton talked to Bryce Huffman at Bridge Detroit, uh, really about his tumultuous, tumultuous relationship with the Greater Commission, specifically the strained relationship that he has with the chair of the Board of Co Police Commissioners, retired police officer, uh, Willie Bell, who represents uh, our district, Donna, he represents District 4. Uh, Commissioner uh, Burton went on record saying that he was muted and silenced by the chair when he was, quote, I was bringing up the concerns of my constituents regarding the racist facial recognition technology concerns that many people in the city still have, but they removed me from the meeting. I think they disagreed with the things I was saying. So you may remember that news cycle when he was physically removed from the meeting. Yeah, he's supposed to oversee the police chief, and the police chief is removing him from a meeting. I'm is like, removing, upside down. How is, does that happen? Right? How do you independent commission. Could, okay, go and on. And then, you know, I would say, y'all, uh, first, I, I know they, you're doing this. This is my first interview on the other side. <laughs> no, no shade to you, Charity. I, no, 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 no. I, I, I'm not, look. Here. Um, <laughs> so Burton is filed suit. I'm just, here, I'm just enjoying this. That's all. I'm just here is the thing that really bothers me. Right, uh, the Detroit Police Commission is supposed to be a citizen oversight commission, right, over the Detroit Police, where citizens can go and uh, you know give affirmation to the cops or make complaints, and that commission is supposed to investigate it. What? I perceive the commission to have been doing these last few years is really essentially an enforcement and support arm, not a check, but an enforcement and support arm for the Duggan administration and for specifically Chief James Craig. And so what Willie Bell got, and I know Willie Bell, and Willie Bell did not want to comment on this story. And I, Commissioner Bell, if you're listening, and I know that you listen to this show, and I know that uh, we have been friendly in the past, we invite you to come on to the show and answer some of these um, accusations because it is troubling when an elected official uh, cannot, number one, voice the concerns of his constituents as early and as late as January of 2021 and as late as last week's meeting 
because of whatever discord that's going on and we don't know what's happening uh, behind the scenes. Commissioner Bell declined to comment on this story, but you have on record two other police commissioners saying uh, that it's unacceptable. It's unacceptable in a public meeting uh, for a chairperson to not allow another member of that commission to speak. To speak. So he's being silenced, he's being censored, uh, he's being muted on, on Zoom. And so what, what's going on, y'all? Like, Donna, what do you think? I mean- well, First of all, the, you know, he is also suing and he's saying that if he is not allowed to speak, he's already filed one lawsuit and he's threatening to file another. Um, what Mike Doug and this mayor is very good at doing is controlling all of the independent commissions and bodies that surround the city of Detroit. He stacks the board, he provides different kinds of ways, he understands how machine politics work. And, you know, I think you can say, okay, we don't like what this man has to say, but he has, he represents people, he represents his district, and his district is not represented when he's silenced. And that's upsetting. Um, I think that injustice anywhere is injustice everywhere. And when you silence somebody because you think there's a good reason to silence them, Think about this if you weren't talking about Detroit and a mayor who some people like and who has a lot of popularity and power. Think about if, if you were talking about Donald Trump doing something like this. Or think about if you were talking about this happening somewhere in Alabama where people, the police chief was escorting out a board member who was elected to represent somebody and to provide oversight over policing. But of course he was police chief and also deputy mayor. So maybe he was wearing his deputy mayor hat because those roles were also in conflict. Um, I think that it is important that we understand what democracy looks like and that we protect democracy with At every all fiber of our being because I don't costs. care who is mayor. I'm a voter. I have a democratic right to have the people I voted for represent me and say things that are not popular. There's a whole lot of people I wish I could silence who have political roles in this nation, in this city, and in this state. You know, if I could just silence anybody, oops, you shouldn't say that. I mean, but the reality is you don't get to do that. You don't get to decide some speech is relevant and others is not. And you don't get to talk about this topic because, you know, we don't put our air, air our business or because I think that what you're saying is false. There's a process for dealing with all of that. And it's our responsibility as citizens to be clear what we expect from our elected leaders. And I'm saying this to Mayor Duggan, and I know he doesn't listen, but some people who work for him do listen. We expect you to encourage your friends and your allies during this election year to let democracy reign in the city of Detroit. You shut down protesters and arrested them and then threatened to counter sue them because you didn't like what they had to say. And then the year before that marched Nazis all around this city and said they had the freedom of speech. And when people were storming Cobo Hall, they had the freedom to speech. Well, Willie Bell has the freedom to speak and every protester who has criticisms and ideas about how we should do things differently also has those freedoms. I saw a Confederate flag waved in front of a taxpayer funded facility, the LCA, where a known Confederate flag bearing racist performed for six whole nights opening this event. And so what I hear see is some people have freedom to speak and others do not. And when it's an elected official, it's especially egregious. The Board of Police Commissioners meets every Thursday at 3 p.m. and you can join virtually on Zoom or you can watch past meetings 
on the board's website. So just go uh, to their website. That information is available at bridgedetroit.com. Before we move on, I want to offer space for Kimberly or Charity to give comment if they have one. I'll, I'll, I'll decline to comment. Okay. Kimberly, you have a comment on that? I, I, I just would sort of piggyback off of what Donna said, and it's, it, it's pretty broad, but um, freedom of speech is important. Um, and, and we certainly can't pick and choose who we silence. Um, and I'll just leave it like that. We can't, we don't have to agree um, with what's being said, but, um, you know, I, I don't know what the guidelines are for picking and choosing <laughs> who we silence. And I don't know if those guidelines exist. <laughs> That wraps up our Fresh Off the Press segment. If you have pieces that you want discussed on Authentically Detroit, you can hit us up on our socials at Authentically Detroit on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, or you can email us at authenticallydetroit at gmail.com. Charity and Kimberly, we're excited to talk to you both about the Black business support landscape uh, in the metropolitan area, experiences on the ground, and how this new Black Chamber of Commerce or Alliance wants to help. So Charity, we'll start with you. Can you give us some insight on how this new alliance or chamber of commerce came to be and how you emerged as its lead executive? Thank you um, for the question. So first, I just want to say thank you for having me. This is so fun. Um, I just, I really enjoyed that last segment. I was like, oh, I remember when <laughs> I wanted to do, anyways, it's, this is fun. This is great. Um, I, uh, so, you know, the, the Metro Detroit Black Business Alliance really emerged I would say really, really more focused in the height of COVID. Um, and so my background is, you know, I'm an attorney, born and raised in the city of Detroit, live here on the West side. Um, I worked in, um, you know, former city employee, worked for the Duggan administration for the last seven years. So I started at the land bank and went into the mayor's office and then ran the, our civil rights, um, our civil rights office and went, you know, in, in that time, right, I, I saw a lot of things happen. And I especially saw how uh, government moved when unified people demanded it. And the key word is demanded it, right? And that's not just even at the local level. I saw it at the state level. I've seen it at the federal level. There's something that happens um, when people demand, you know, what is owed to them or demand change. And, you know, I had had a, a few conversations with colleagues um, around the city for years about, man, we really need this in the city of Detroit. And it wasn't really until last year, um, COVID, um, that a couple of business owners and myself began to spend our evenings and weekends really saying, okay, how do we make this happen? Um, and the other thing that happened during COVID um, was that, you know, a couple of weekends ago, I think it was the anniversary of the first case in, in Michigan. And I, I'll never forget being in a cabinet meeting um, at the city. And um, we hadn't had a case yet, but we knew that it was coming and we were getting an update and getting, um, you know, we're talking about the response and not, you know, two days or three days later, um, I got a call from a colleague that said, okay, remember you asked that question in cabinet about like small business? Um, we, you know, we need to do something. And so I began immediately to work kind of around the clock with our colleagues um, to build um, 
our small business response for COVID. We didn't know what was happening. We didn't know what this was, how long it was going to be. I remember being very afraid. I remember because I was I was still at work. So I was driving into work and there was no one on the freeway. And I felt like I was in a movie. Um, but we were trying to figure out how do we make of what we, the unknown. And we were getting something different every day from like the governor's office, from uh, you know, from nationally, and we were trying to figure out how we resolve this. And there were a couple of times um, when uh, you know I began to work with some um, some black-owned business owners, and I'll call out one specifically, uh, Charles Nolan, um, Chuck, who owns Cutters in Eastern Market, and began talking about how do we really do something right. Um, and so we we began meeting um, to 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 develop the organization. But I'm gonna be clear: this was not my plan. This was not my plan. Um, I knew that I was going to be leaving um, the administration this year. It was part of the things that I had prayed about at the end of last year, um, but I didn't know what it was, what it was for. And really, as we begin to meet and fundraise um, for the um, for the alliance, you know, we had an amazing conversation with Gary Torgo over at TCF, who was really interested and really concerned about, you know, you know, this being something sustainable. Um, that can that can sustain and and you know is this something you know who's going to lead it who's going to be the person that's in charge of it and you know asked me very pointedly um, and I knew that this was something that um, I would do if the opportunity presented itself and I'm and it did so um, I'm happy to do it but the need has been there for a very long time um, and we have no idea you know I, I like we we think we have an idea of what we where we're about to step into I already know that you know. We, we're going to get some surprises, but I'm excited to be doing the work because it, it is really important to me. Yeah, so TCF, I can't I can't uh, be a journalist and not say that TCF made a sizable, a sizable grant um, uh, to this org uh, in the amount in the amount of one million dollars. Over what five years. Over five years. Over five years. What's the plan? What's the plan with all that? Yeah, so they made a um, they made a commitment, uh, a five year commitment, because for them it what they didn't want to make a donate. It, it it's not just a donation. We really want to partner, um, and they've already done some things um, related to black businesses, and they really want to um, help facilitate uh, the giving of a number of resources. Apparently, they have a lot of money that they want to give specifically for black owned businesses in the Metro Detroit area. So we're gonna be um, we're gonna be working on that, but. Our, um, our organization is going to uh, serve Black businesses in Wayne, Oakland, and Macomb County. Um, we hope to have a business resource center, or actually we will have a business resource center downtown where members can come in and get free internet, free um, co-working space for, you know, if you need to use the boardroom for free. Um, we also are building out on our website a Buy Black directory um, of Black-owned businesses in the Metro Detroit area. Um, so that you can go to one place and get every black on business, so whether they're a member or not, we want to list them on a directory. Um, but then we want to do like really intentional programming. Um, so right now we're focused on, we're just, you know, we just announced our launch on Friday. So we're focused on tax time, getting folks ready um, for that. The implications, if you got a grant or something last year, what is that going to look like um, on your taxes? But we are also an advocacy organization. And that's really important. And I try to re remind people of that. So what, what does that mean? Um, is that we're going to be advocating for uh, resources, um, not just from government institutions, but from financial institutions to go directly to our Black-owned businesses. I have a question. Um, because 
during the COVID crisis, a lot of people credit you with doing some of the same kind of work of getting them ready to get access resources and whatever. Um, what, how do you differentiate this work from the role you had at the city? Okay, I love that question. First, you know, I'll say this, and I, I think I said it in one of one of the. I got had an interview around COVID. I don't know that the the work that I was doing during the city was a response to COVID, and not necessarily a response to what the civil rights director of the city of Detroit does. Does that make sense? Like, I got involved in this small business stuff because COVID hit. We we were certifying Detroit-based businesses and connecting them to resources, but the idea of really like rolling up our sleeves and um you know you know you know I worked with Rachel Lutz to create a Facebook group and to give like minute by minute updates I and mean, we were really engaged it was really an emergency response but what it did and we know this what it did was highlight the need or the gap that was not there previously it highlighted for us, especially in city government, um, and we talk about this all the time, you know, pandemics, emergencies, they highlight, they show what's already there. Um, and so it highlighted for us, um, you know, uh, a, a need, uh, a need. Yeah, it essentially like, laid bare the deep inequities that were sort of already in existence and exacerbated those inequities to the point where we know that some folks didn't make it out. Yeah. So, yeah. No, we know, but it's, it's also like, with the city, it seems like because of the anti-affirmative action um, legislation or constitutional amendment, where I can't—I don't remember which it's one. It's the constitution. It's in our state constitution. Our constitution, right? Because of that, you could not target black businesses, even if you saw that there was a targeted need. Is that correct? Does this give you more freedom to target businesses that are black without having workarounds? So that's a good question. And Donna's pointing out, we have the most conservative state constitution in the union as it relates to affirmative action. So we should just know that. And that came from, I don't know if y'all remember that ballot initiative. Um, and so the way that it's written in the state of Michigan is hugely paralyzing. But uh, so yeah, obviously, yes, right. This, this allows me to be blackity black, 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 more so than I could be as now I was blackity black as the director of civil rights and I was unapologetic about it but I can be even more so here but this is also you know when I was working at at Creo I was a director of civil rights so I'm still a government I'm still a, I'm an appointee I'm appointed by the mayor um and I'm still a governmental official um now I'm running an advocacy organization on behalf so I found myself and I say this all the time and I'm not ashamed to say there have been times when I find myself as a government employee I'm wearing two hats right I am Creo director so I'm in a meeting with my colleagues and I'm saying oh this is something that we should do but I'm also wearing the hat of like advocating for black businesses hey y'all we need to make sure we do this right and so what that does though if you know, it, what it does is, is oh, that's charity, right? It, it, it's, you know, if you don't have an outside organization doing this work um, and you just rely on the government to do it and not to say that like, you know, I wasn't effective or that government can't be effective, but a, a healthy democracy, Donna, to your point, you need everybody. A healthy democracy means you need a, legislat a legislature putting pressure on the executive. You need community advocates putting pressure on both, right? You need powerful and thriving businesses that are that's putting pressure on everybody, right? And so um, you need all of those things in, in a healthy democracy. And so 
um, I don't know if that answers your question, but here um, now I'm adding to um, what I think we've done in our in our civil rights department, um, but but it's definitely a gap. And maybe that's a piece of low hanging fruit that you can go after when we talk uh, about you guys being a policy advocacy organization. Maybe that's on the policy agenda. I want to bring Kimberly in on here uh, on this discussion. Kimberly, tell us about uh, you know Harry's Barbershop, but also. Uh, how you would like to see this new alliance work for a Black business like yours? You know, it's so funny. The onset of um, this global pandemic created a total paradigm shift. The, you would hear um, the conversation about small businesses, but all of a sudden, it was, it was small Black businesses. Black business owners. Um, there was the, the the conversation wasn't localized. The conversation now it was a national conversation. Um, something that has never happened before. Um, the 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 narrative was what can we do to help? It was something that um, I think my father would be very shocked but proud. Um, because I, I, I think, and when I think about the barbershop, um, you know, we're not a big business, you know, we're brick and mortar. Um, we're, we're on the corner of Mack and Marlboro, um, which is near and dear to my heart. Um, but I think from the outside looking in there, there wasn't much relevance or importance placed on, you know, a, a, a barbershop. Um, I think, again, I'm, I'm seeing the conversation change, the, the, the conversations are emerging, what can we do to help? Um, I, I think that is, that's not a conversation um, that my dad ever had. Now, there were people who did help him. He was very blessed. Um, but on this broad scale, um, there was never that conversation. Um, I, I, I still think, though, that the conversation, and I, I've said this a number of times, uh, I, I, I'm not sure if people sort of understand the importance of a barbershop. Um, right. No, that's you know, we're, we're not a restaurant, and so we don't get the, um, a lot of attention. And if I can just be honest, you know, at, at the onset of... Uh, the, the, the pandemic, um, if it wasn't for Donna um, and, and her organization, um, when we opened up on June 15th, you know, I, I was literally trying to purchase PPE um, and they stepped forward um, because I was hearing, well, how did you know, how did they get it? Or how did they get it? You know, why can't we get it? And they stepped forward. So I still think that even with this emerging conversation, a little small barbershop on the corner of Mac and Marlboro, um, not everyone sees the importance. Um, but I think we will get there with conversations like this so that I can advocate um, on behalf of you know the 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 really small the the, the really small businesses, um, you know we, we don't have you know twenty employees, 
Um, but we, we, we still have to maintain, you know, we do all the right things, you know. Um, so I, I think we will get there, but I, I don't wanna say I've been discouraged because I've been turned down quite a bit. And I think that we've been turned down again because not everyone really sees the relevance or the importance. Yeah, we go there and we get our hair cut, but, but that's pretty much it. Um, but I think that we will get there. Um, I am determined to continue to advocate, to continue to have conversations and discussions um, because I, I told someone, I said, you know what? In my heart um, and in my mind, you know, we're a Little Caesars Arena. We're TCF. Um, we're, we're just that important. Um, and so uh, we, we will get there. Um, I'm glad that the conversation is starting, that the narrative um, is changing, and that there's been this paradigm shift. And so now we're not just talking about small businesses, but we're talking about, you know, Black-owned businesses. And so um, I'm really happy about that. You know, I'm super excited about this in, in the context of what you're saying, because I think so often the micro businesses or the really small businesses fall out of, and, and the reality is that a lot of my partners in community development have also developed an understanding that we need to do a better job um, putting our arms around businesses in our wake. Um, there was a time when our goal was to grow the business sector by attracting new businesses and, and using resources to do that. And we now understand that we've got to invest in who's here. And I'm wondering, Charity, how organizations like ours, which are uh, in the process of setting up um, neighborhood-based small business centers, can work with your regional small business center focused on Black businesses so that we can make sure that the Kimberly Harry's and other really small businesses don't um, get ignored. Yeah, so first, um, I love all of this. I, I wanna say something just to Miss Harry. The, the barbershop is a cornerstone. Of, I mean, when you talk about the importance of that, it's just, I mean, for me, right, I, you know, I have, you know, I used to wear my hair in a fade. I did. I used to go to, seriously, I would go to barbershop, right? And that's where you connect with people, hear a good conversation, get you some pound cake. Like it was, um, it's a place to be and it's valuable. And so when you think about cities and, you know, where you want to live, you want to live where you have businesses like yours that are, that are there, that are open. So there's a connection there to real estate, right? There's a connection there to all these things that are going on. But uh, to your question, Donna, we do not, we will not be successful. This organization will not be successful if we think we're going to do this alone, period, because um, we can't. Metro Detroit is so huge. Um, and we're talking about Oakland, Wayne and Macomb County, right? We're going to be out. We, we have an event on Friday in Mount Clemens at a Black-owned business there. They awesome. need help, right? And so uh, connecting with organizations like ECN or GRDC is going to be huge for us. Um, and also, like, when I talk about my our business resource center, I'm talking about like a thousand square feet max, right? So like, we need to be able to say, oh, you're on the east side. Here's where you can go and here's, you know, here's your contact. Oh, you, you need something in your area. So being able to partner with everybody that's serving the people is how we will succeed. I mean, we're not gonna try, we're not gonna try to duplicate something that's already happening. We're not gonna try to do things by ourselves. Uh, but collaboration is like a cornerstone to us of how we will be successful. So I look forward to working with you guys, Donna. And one thing, Donna, that, oh, I'm sorry, one thing that you said, Donna, was that, um, you know, those, those small businesses 
are often the springboard to other businesses. Um, and, and again, I use ourselves as an example, um, that block between Marlboro and, and, and Philip, um, we have such vision for that block um, and, and, and we wanna grow. And so you're absolutely right, Donna, you know, it, it, it may be small now, but it can serve as a springboard yes. um, to other businesses. Um, and, and so that's so true. And I'm glad to hear you say that, Donna. And I think you know, the other thing is, I just wanna say this real quickly. We talk about essential workers. We need to start talking about essential businesses too. Add that to our parlance. And the, um, the other thing I wanna say real quickly, Charity, is that we have a public policy agenda that some of us working in this field are trying to advance. And so coordinating with you, you could be the microphone by which we push our public policy agenda forward because we don't have people with the expertise and the time to really do that work. So I really look forward to that partnership. Yes, Donna, I'm, I'm all in, absolutely, absolutely. I think, um, so, uh, you know, I've been, you know, we just officially launched on Friday. So like, I'm trying to get to everybody and, and make my rounds with folks, but that's exactly right. Where we have alignment on public policy issues, we need to be one full force, right? We are, and especially as, you know, ECN, I was I was having this conversation with Donna Murray Brown over the weekend with Michigan Nonprofit Association, and she was talking about some of the their policy work, and we, and alignment is going to be key to change. Um, so I appreciate that. And the other thing I'll say on the micro business piece is that at the end of the day, Black people are, like, we are hustlers, right? In a way, because of systemic racism, we have create like this is who we are and so we have to have a voice and we have to be aligned in that voice to make change so i'm i'm super excited happy to connect and we have to continue the conversation yes. um, you know we have to keep the momentum going that's so important you know um sometimes you know things are new and we're excited and um but we have to find ways to keep that momentum going and keep the conversation going um, I think that's extremely important. And so, um, you know, I, I, again, I, I'm committed. Um, I've, I've said to Donna and Orlando, you know, numerous times, we're not going anywhere. You know, we, that, we that, that affirm, that makes me feel so good because you know, I feel a lot like charity. I, I would say this, that the Black Barbershop um, is one of the many epicenters of Black political power, conversation, yeah. politics, um and advancement right where we can go and be free get a haircut and some of everything else um at the barbershop yeah. and especially i have i have an emotional connection to mr harry he and my grandfather were longtime friends and that was where um i got my first haircut but you know being on the business development and stabilization side at ecn back in 2016 well i would often go out and canvas businesses and talk to business owners a lot of y'all was like i don't got time to talk to you right now i need you to call me at this certain time or you know get in touch with me at this time you guys were hard to help right miss harry tell me and tell charity how, how do y'all want to be engaged because sometimes it's hard to engage the small business infrastructure in our city i i, I can only speak for harry's barbershop because there is a passion, there is a love there, and there is a commitment. Um, uh, again, I, I grew up not far from there, so um, there's a passion 
um, you know, I, I, I think sometimes, you know, I, I said, I think last night, Donna, I'm always calling, you know, Ian at the ECN, you know, what's going on? How can I help? Um, I think you have to put yourself out there. Mm. You have, it, it, it comes with commitment, it's leadership. Um, and, and there's such a desire for growth in that area. So, you know, our, our family, we're committed. We're putting ourselves out there. We're saying, how can we help? You know, what can we do? Um, you know, what do I need to know? What applications do I need to fill out? So you have to be committed. Um, and again, we, we keep the momentum going within our family because we know what we want to see in that area. Um, and, and so you, just, about, I'm sorry. you have to just put yourself out there. You, you one, really one do you have to remember, ask questions. One thing I remember was um, this during the pandemic, we were trying to figure out because we had money for facade improvements, which is what we decided we wanted to give businesses. And, um, and in the midst of a pandemic, it's like, maybe we need to reprogram that money by right. some emergency assistance. And sometimes it's also us who are providing services, remembering to give the customer what the customer prioritizes mm -hmm. and not what we decide they need. And mm -hmm. that's, that's a lesson for us, right? And it was really Mike Curis, who is part of our planning team and um, is the owner of the Mac Alter Mac Alter Square, um, Mac Alter Square um, LLC, who said, "Wait a minute, why aren't we, you know help people?" And it's one of those basic things that we know we need to do with people. But sometimes I think when we're approaching businesses, we think we know what businesses should want from us. And so I have really tried to humble myself and our staff to understand that we need to ask businesses, how can we make a positive Im impact on your business and then let them answer? Because that's a really good point. No problem giving away emergency and stabilization money. None. People were like, let me fill this out. How quickly do you need this? Yeah, yeah. And, you know, I mean, that's what we want. We want to get it out the door. But with facade improvement money, it was like, wait a minute, hold on, you know, anyway. <laughs> you know, um, I, I'm preparing for an event and um, my class reunion. And so they said, well, we have to do something regarding the community. And they said, well, let's give back to our high school. And so they had all of these ideas. They had all of these ideas. And I didn't want to interrupt the meeting, but I called the gentleman afterwards. And I said, listen, these ideas are great, but we need to find out what are the needs what does this school need? Let's mm -hmm. find out what the needs are and then let's meet those needs. We can come up with a playscape and, you know, new, new, whatever, but are we really meeting the need? And so I love to hear you say that, Donna, um, you know, don't, you have to ask them, what do you need? And we'll tell you, you know, we will absolutely <laughs> tell you. Um, but I think that is just an awesome approach. Charity, I want to ask you about um, uh, your collaborative approach. I know that you're brand new, but uh, for somebody who's been around a long time, like Donna and myself, and we, we hear about this, we think about, well, are they working with this organization? Are they working with that? The National Business League is one of the organizations that comes up that's led by Ken Harris. How are, are there plans or are you already working with the National Business League and the Michigan Black Chamber of Commerce to advance 
you know, and see where synergies are and advance each other's missions and um, initiatives? Yeah, thank you for the question. Um, I, I will say this, I'll say not yet, but we hope to. Um, there's not an organization that currently exists uh, whose mission is to help black businesses that we won't work with. Um, and so we've got plans in addition to the ones you've mentioned um, to work with the NAACP. Um, you know, there are organizations that may not be specifically focused on black business, but they're focused on small business. We, we're gonna engage them. I've got meetings with Bill Institute coming up, um, Detroit Means Business. Um, black people need as many resources as possible and shouldn't have to make a choice, right? We shouldn't have like a scarcity mentality of like, we only, we only get one or two. We need as many people doing the work as possible. So uh, we plan to collaborate and work with whom, whomever will have us um, because the, the work is great. Um, and there's so much work to be done. You know, it, it's interesting, you know, we are here in Detroit, we're, we're physically based in Detroit, but as I begin to talk to people about Oakland County and Macomb County, I hear so much and I'm like, oh Lord, it sounds like there's a lot of need there uh, for black business support. Because I think automatically people think about Detroit and forget about, uh, you know, the, our, our brothers and sisters that have businesses in, you know, Chesterfield Township and what my, they might need and how that city council is engaging and you know what are their policies and so the work in order to engage in that work policy alone is 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 big so we need all the the support and we we welcome all partners yeah we and you know i can i can definitely say as a uh, former practitioner in the small business development and stabilization space we appreciate uh, the structural approach that uh, you all plan to take especially when it uh, comes to policy because there are many many folks on the ground like a ECN, like a Grandmont Rosedale and other organizations uh, who are, you know, really about that granular day-to-day -day operations yep. kind of work. And so uh, we appreciate that. Before, we, can, we have to ask you how, uh, what are the entry points for businesses to become a part of the Alliance? We can't let you go without uh, <laughs> blasting that. I will say go to Look at me. Okay. MDBBA.com. So Metro Detroit Black Business Alliance, MDBBA.com. That's where you can join. Uh, because here's the thing, Orlando, I'm glad you, you pivoted to me. There is something for everyone at the Black Business Alliance. Um, maybe you're not a Black business owner, but you want to be an ally member. You can join as an ally. I mean, we will take you there. You can maybe you're not a business owner, but you want to make a donation because you believe in the cause. You can do that there. Maybe you don't want to make a donation, but you have a service that our members can utilize. You want to give a discount. You know, maybe you have accounting services or something. You want to give a discount to our members. You can become a partner. All of that at the website, which is mdbba.com. Um, please join. We need as many hands to this work as possible. We are trying to overcome 400 years of systemic and structural racism. So everybody that wants to help is welcome to help. Price points affordable for our folks? Absolutely. So it's based on what size. So our micro businesses are $300 annually, which is about $25 a year. And it goes up based on number of employees. Um, but it depends on, on who you are. But yes, absolutely. And special uh, discount if you um, join before April 1st. And this is hot off the press, so people don't know this yet because we haven't announced it. If you join before April first, you'll get a twenty-five percent discount. That's only this year, only time we're ever doing it. But if you That's join awesome. before April first, you get a twenty-five percent discount. So, Miss Harry, get on that. That's website. awesome. <laughs> You know that I, I I just really appreciate this. Um, if I could just ask Charity one question. Yeah. You know, for for a small business like a barbershop, um. 
and you know what, you guys, my laptop's getting ready to hold on one second. Okay. It's getting ready to crash. Oh, Sorry. no, don't crash laptop. Oh, one second. Uh oh. You, you, you're listening to Authentically Detroit. Our guest this episode is Charity Dean, the new president and CEO of the Metro Detroit Black Business Alliance, along with Kimberly Harry, one of the co owners, along with her siblings, of a neighborhood institution on the east side at Mac and Marlboro, Harry's Barbershop. Miss Harry, you got your computer and stuff together? I'm, I'm all set. I just saw the big flash. <laughs> You know, it, Charity, it, it, what would you say to keep, you know, a, a small business like Harry's Barbershop encouraged? Um, what would you say, you know, um, some of the things that we should continue doing to stay engaged? We want to stay engaged. Um, we don't want to be forgotten. And, and I don't think anyone's going to forget Harry's Barbershop because we're, we're going to stay uh, hopefully in the forefront. But but what would you say to keep, you know, small businesses um like Harry's Barbershop encouraged? Well, um, especially if you're a Black-owned business in the Metro Detroit area like Harry's um, Barbershop, what I would say is help is on the way. Help is here. Um, so that's the first thing. I'd say stay connected. I'm going to come see you on Friday. Um, I'll be on the east side on Friday, so I'm going to pop by and come see you. Um, but it, it kind of goes to what Donna was talking about. One of the things that we're learning, and when you, when you get the membership form, you'll see that we're asking you, what is it that you need help with? Um, we, I've learned, you know, there's a, a neighborhood uh, bar that's around the corner from me. I live in Grandmont Road in the Grandmont Roseville area, and a bar owner. What they really need is they're um, they're doing some renovations in their building, and they need help like navigating permitting process, right? Um, that's that's different than you know someone else that is you know trying to get the state contract, and so. Um, we want to be able to be responsive to what your needs are. So, I, you know, I would say stay connected. You know, part of the part of the beautiful thing about the alliance um, is being able to be connected with other Black business owners. Um, there's so much power. We think about, you know, you know, I, I put out my pitch for donate because we we will need resources in order to do this great work. But there is amazing power in the Black dollar if we could circulate it, right? So if we thought, you know, about how do we circulate our black dollar and how do you as Harry's as a member of the Alliance meet another um, member of the Alliance and maybe they're they may they're also own a shop and then you guys can collaborate and find cost savings with 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 some of your suppliers right or maybe um, all of a sudden you've gotten out new clients and customers as a result of, of participating so being connected for sure um, but not feeling like you're alone I had a I mean we just launched I had an email from someone else it's like I know you used to work in the city look I need this I, someone's not responding <laughs> to me here that's okay at first I was like oh man I'm done with this but but that's what I'm here for um and so and I'm going to become an expert on every other municipality systems so that we can um empower our, our black business owners and we want to empower you guys I you know one of the things that I haven't been able to talk about I'm gonna talk real fast I think we're trying to close up here but one yeah. of the things we haven't talked about um is and, and this is something that's in the development stage. We're not there yet. So bear with me. Don't be like, Charity, you said y'all were going to do this. But we would really love for if you're a business owner and you give us your address, we give you the name of your city council people and your mayor and, and your account. Like you have those phone numbers, right? You, if you're in, you know, um, in Macomb Township or if you're in Oak Park, you have those, you have that information. There is so much power in that. Um, so not being afraid to ask for help either. Um, I, the other thing is, I would say the only thing you can hear is no. And sometimes, most times, people won't say no. They'll try to, if they can't do it, they'll try to figure out someone else that, that can help. So utilize us. That's what we're here for. Um, I'm going to come see you on Friday. Awesome. Thank you. And and you can get my phone number from Orlando. And right. uh, 
awesome. Okay. I'll pass it on. Yo, this conversation has been great. Our thanks to Charity and Kimberly for joining us. Listen, if you have topics that you want discussed on Authentically Detroit, you can hit us up on our socials at Authentically Detroit or email us at authenticallydetroit at gmail.com. Donna, it's time for shout outs. You got any? You know, Orlando, normally you have me beat, but this time I am prepared. <laughs> I want to shout out Juwan Howard and the Michigan basketball team for holding it down for the Big Ten Go. <laughs> Yeah. I don't know if you saw the video of him dancing, but I, did. yeah. I didn't see it. Oh, he is so great. Just a great coach. And, um, you know, managing through player injuries, just amazing. Mm. Um, shout out to Elma's Kitchen, a new restaurant on Mac. Oh, Avenue. Mac. oh my goodness. That food is so good. Oh, oh you wow. said Elma's Kitchen. Okay. And it's right where, if you remember where the uh, Rockefeller's Oyster Bar used to be, and then there was a wing shop. So we went through a chicken wing moment, but Alma's Kitchen is no joke. We've had some actually great restaurant openings on Mac, okay. um, including an Indian food, Norjab um, cuisine, yeah. Indian restaurant. And now, Chipotle. And Chipotle. And um, there's some new restaurant in the wild gas station across the street. They keep turning over. But anyway, really enjoyed that. <laughs> um, all the women in Women's History Month. I'm so excited about Women's History Month. And I celebrated as a Black woman, always wanting to celebrate Black women um, for making, being history makers and really doing great things. And um, in that um, spirit, I want to um, shout out Edith Ford and Michelle Jackson, who were just selected as LEAP co-chairs the LEAP Coalition. Wow. So we have some, I'll just say, fighting women on board. <laughs> I know Michelle Jackson. Everybody <laughs> know Michelle Jackson. Yes, That's and awesome. Congratulations. Very proud of her. You know, Michelle is also on our, our staff. I want to shout you out, um, Charity. Just outstanding um, for you to have this position. I'm really excited. I'm really excited to see a woman in this role. Quite frankly, I'm used to seeing men heading up business associations and business. Um, it's you and Regina Campbell and other Black women are going to just, you know, revolutionize things around here. And then I want to shout out my friend Pamela Martin Turner from Vanguard, who just um, received a $1.6 million grant to um, redo streetscapes on um, East Grand Boulevard. If you don't know, now you know. I used to be executive director of Vanguard. I'll always love the organization and the community it serves. And so for me to see a turnaround of the nature that Pam has brought about in the North End, I remember when she came there and things were a little shaky. So Pam, uh, credit. Shout out to you, Pam. You've been able to really um, establish yourself as a leader in a community where we know gentrification is a big threat and yet you stood strong on our behalf and then um, also, um, I do want to shout out and recognize um, Kimberly Rustam for um, assuming your position charity I met Kimberly when she was at the Detroit Health Department and she was so helpful in helping us form our Chandler Park Healthy Neighborhood Initiative and my girl Michelle Oberholzer who has just yep. been holding it down for people who have been fighting tax foreclosures and is now the policy director or something like that yep. for the city of Detroit. Michelle, um, you get roses from me because you help so many people in the community. I'm on the show, Michelle. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, I, I don't know if I can beat it. I'll just say a uh, shout out to uh, Donna Givis Davidson, Kimberly Harry, Charity Dean, um, I in International Women's History Month, 
I am a heterosexual male who is constantly affirmed and catered to. And so to be a minority in this space that we are holding tonight, I'm grateful and a blessing and I feel honored to be a part of it. So to the women that make up this community, to the women that raised me um, and to the women who are unrelenting in their fight for justice, like a Pam Martin Turner. I know Pam too, Donna. Pam has been unrelenting for years and it is um, really great to see her hard work pay off. And so shout out to you, shout out to you ladies. I'm just happy to be here. That's oh, all. thank you. That's wonderful. I'm happy to be here. I, I'm happy to be here and, 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 and it's always bittersweet, um, but we're excited. We are excited. All right. Well, Judy, I hope you have any shout out? Friday. Oh, I'm sorry. Oh, a uh, shout out. Mm, everybody, I love Jesus. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> you caught me on Friday. I forgot. Uh, you know what? Shout out to the Black business owners that have not, uh, that have been overlooked, that have uh, been grinding hard, that have been transferred from check-in to savings to from... <laughs> Shout out! To, I'm serious to be, who have right. been grinding, um, despite it all. I am. I, I dedicate the you know this work to you. So shout out to you if you are a black, you are a black business owner. Um, shout out to you. And uh, Donna, shout out to our listeners for not cursing us out this time around for not the <laughs> episode last week. What we want to do, folks, is normalize rest. Do we give Kimberly an opportunity to shout out? Oh. You know what, I'm just going to shout out um, Donna, you and your staff at ECN. Um, I, I say this all the time um, that you guys were a lifesaver um, at the onset of, of, of COVID. Um, and, and we didn't feel alone. We, we didn't feel like we were in this fight by ourselves. So um, major shout out to, to Donna and her staff at ECN and, and certainly to Orlando for, for giving me a call and not giving me much time to prepare. Um, <laughs> but, but, but that's okay. I think he knew that I was going to say yes. So um, yeah. And, and then Charity, certainly a shout out to you. This is our first meeting. Um, I, I, I have a list of names and I'm just excited because I feel like we are building relationships and yeah. that's what you know, these are relationships that we're building um, and, and we're excited about that. So a shout out to you for what I know you're going to do and for your commitment and your leadership. So thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Normalize, rest, everybody. We thank you so much for listening. We want you to catch the wave.